Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor Hayden said, my name is Ben Wimmers. I'm a seminary student at McMaster Divinity College, and uh, it's my pleasure to be in this building once again to bring the word of the Lord and to be a part of our journey of faith together. Now, preaching from the book of Hebrews is always difficult. It's a mysterious book. We don't know who wrote it, to whom it was written. At best, we have guesses. We know with some degree of certainty that it's a church in crisis, a church suffering persecution under the thumb of the Roman Empire. This is a church that's afraid. They're punished for being Christians. They're probably punished also for being Jewish. There's no way that they can live in guaranteed safety while holding fast to their communal identity and their faith. What makes this book even more difficult to preach out of is that you really should read the entire book at once in order to understand the message because each argument builds wonderfully on top of another. So for those of you watching on live stream at home, this would be a great time to pause it, flip back to chapter 1, and catch on up to 10 verse 19. But for those of us that are here, or if that's not something you want to undertake on this Sunday morning, let me sum up a little bit. Immediately before this passage, the author talks about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That Jesus Christ gave one sacrifice for all, that it was better than anything that had come before. We keep in mind that this is a people reading this letter that understood the Old Testament very well. They knew what God required in the days of the tabernacle and the temple, that when sin was committed, when you acted in a way that was contrary to what God wanted for our lives, the price was death. And so they brought animals, birds, cattle, to the temple to be sacrificed in their place. The blood covered their sins. The author talks about in chapter 10 that Christ is that sacrifice for us. He's the one sacrifice for all. We don't need animals anymore to pay for our sins because Jesus has done it. We are a people living under grace. We are a people who have had one pay the ultimate price for us, and so we can live free of death. But how does that help us in our suffering? How does that help us in our present difficulties? It's strange to think that it's been nearly eight months since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. It's becoming harder and harder to imagine what life was like before. What was church like when we could sit close together, when we didn't have to wear masks? Can't, as a student, I can hardly remember what it was like to sit in a classroom and have live dynamic interactions with my classmates. Now we're all just little boxes on my computer screen, silently waiting to be called on so that we don't all talk at the same time. Here we are, isolated, fractured communities, no longer gathering in the same way that we were before. Holidays are different. Thanksgiving was truly odd this year, sitting six feet apart from, from my wife's grandparents, making sure that you know, we didn't pass anything on to them. And it doesn't have an end in sight which makes it even more difficult that we must continue to move on suffering in these difficult times. Unsure of when it will end. Unsure of when we can be together. Unsure of when we will be free from all these difficulties. How does the fact that Christ has died one and all for us help us there? 
How does it help us move forward? The author of Hebrews is kind enough to answer this question for us. For he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter this most holy place. We spoke in our time of confession about what it means to come into the presence of God, how Jesus' sacrifice enables us to draw near to him. It opens this new way, a way that had not previously been opened before to come to God, but through sacrifice, but that sacrifice is done. It's not continual anymore. And so the author begins to unpack these let us statements, I'll call them. Let us draw near. Let us hold on to hope. Let us spur each other on to love. So let's start with that first one. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and the full assurance of faith, having been sprinkled to cleanse us of our guilty conscience and washed with pure water. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, first and foremost, the first starting place when we are in times of difficulty is to come to God, to come to the one who created the heavens and the earth and to sit at his feet, to be in his presence, the one who is in total control of what seems like an uncontrollable situation. You and I don't have the power to change the world as it is. Us individually, even if we put all the collective minds of this church together, I highly doubt we could come up with enough knowledge and ability and skill to fix one major problem in this world. So in the face of such despair, we come to the one who is able to change the world, who is able to affect goodness by his grace. And we do this not because we are worth it, because we are so great and so smart and so worthy of being in God's presence, but because Jesus, through the blood of his sacrifice, washed us clean of our sin in all the ways that we disappoint God so that he looks at us and says, you are my child. Come to me. The second statement, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The hope we have is looking ahead, looking ahead into the future of a time when these difficulties will be over. All of Scripture promises a time when God will reconcile the entirety of creation, restore it back to when there was no separation between us and God. Oh, how we long for that day. No more death and sickness, dying, war and violence. It's coming. By drawing into God's presence, by sitting at his feet, we can begin to feel a little bit more confident that he actually has the ability and the desire to make this promise happen. And it doesn't come into this world because we respond faithfully to God every day. It doesn't come into this world, this healing, because we are capable of making it happen, no. But because God is faithful in carrying out his plan we can start to see a theme develop that it's not so much on our ability and our skill that we can persevere in these times of suffering and difficulty, but it's solely by the character of God and who he is that we are able to carry forward by relying entirely on him and not our own abilities. And with that, the next, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards 
love, and good deeds. We've come into God's presence. We've reflected on his character, and now the invitation of the text is to take that out to each other. In whatever way we can during these times of social distancing and isolation, but we must be committed to one another, to love, to good deeds. It's hard to wrestle with the next one, not give up meeting together. What does that mean in this context? Is gathering limited to physically getting together in this church building as we always have? Does it mean having that intimate small group in your house with a a group from all different circles? Meeting together, I think, has to have a much broader definition these days. Whether it is on Zoom, a phone call, a socially distant driveway visit, which those days are, are quickly leaving as there was a lot of frost on the ground this morning. But togetherness, community, interaction in whatever way we can while still maintaining the safety of our communities is something that we must hold on to. Don't retreat in the face of difficulty from one another. Don't pull back and say, I'm just still a little bit uncomfortable with this whole thing. You know, it's not how it once was. I don't like not singing in church. I don't like having to wear a mask inside. We have to push through these because our communities are more important than our little discomforts because so much is at stake. But thankfully, once again, it does not rely on us. It's about encouraging each other to remember to remember that God is faithful. However we do that, whatever the means, whatever the mode of communication, it is important that we keep that at the forefront of our interactions together. The author then changes his tone. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. The author speaks about God's grace, about gathering together, God's faithfulness of love and Christian community, but he contrasts it against an equally important part of God's nature, that God is just, that though we have grace in our lives, it's not an invitation to just do whatever we want. It's not an invitation to just go about life as we see fit, to ignore each other, to ignore those that are suffering more, to withdraw, to hide in the face of difficulty. God is just, and he wants us to live well. He doesn't want us to reject the gift he has given to us by living in a way contrary to how Jesus lived. Jesus the one full of compassion, the one full of mercy and love to extend the hand of fellowship to the marginalized of society, to those that were not deemed worth helping. In the face of difficulty, of separation, of isolation, this is when we are called to double down on those characteristics of Jesus. Not to sit back and say, well, grace has me covered, I'm forgiven. It's tough right now, but when things are better, then 
then I'll go back to gathering and, and spending time with community and encouraging each other. No, now is the time to get even deeper in the muck and mire. Because God is just. And he wants us to encourage and hold fast to this faith, to draw into his presence and to encourage and love one another. But when it's hard, our natural tendency is to retreat from pain and suffering rather than draw towards it. So how do we establish this perseverance of faith, this perseverance of community, of gathering together? The first is through remembrance. I was so disappointed to not be here last week as was originally planned while awaiting a COVID test. The results were negative, thankfully, because there was a baptism here. And baptism is such an important part of our Christian life. And in the Reformed tradition, as we baptize infants, it's an amazing invitation to remember and reflect on your own baptism. I always struggled with that as a kid because I said, well, I don't remember my baptism. I was a few weeks old. But we remember as a congregation what it stands for. We remember baptism as the gift of grace. That for one so helpless as a baby who can do nothing on their own, is totally dependent on their parents for everything in their life, who can't really do a good deed, can't help someone cross the street, return someone's wallet, totally incapable of anything, grace is given to them. Someone so incapable of earning salvation has it poured over their life. And when we remember that, we look at that baby, and we as a community make a promise to say, we are going to support you. We are going to encourage you. We are going to be your spiritual community. And then we have a responsibility to make our faith each other's business. And I know that sort of flies in the face of what North American culture is moving towards, that it's all about my truth. It's about what I understand, my opinions and how I see the world, and that is premier in our lives. But the invitation of Hebrews is to make your faith everyone else's business. Not so much to say that you need to now start going through your church directory and calling up people and saying, hey, tell me what's going on in your faith life because your faith is my business. No. Invite others into your life. Invite others to come into your faith life, to share in your struggles and say, this is where I'm having my difficulties. This is where I'm having my strengths. It's not just something that belongs to you, but faith is a communal activity. And of course, it starts so much earlier than baptism. For one such as little Riley, only a few days old, you already belong to her. Your faith is already her business just as much as her spiritual well-being is yours. That's the beauty of what Christian community is all about, is that once we've received that gift of grace that we do not deserve, we instantly belong to one another. 
And no matter what the situation and the circumstance is, no matter what is going on in our lives, in our country, and in our world, no matter what would legally separate us, whether it would be war, violence, legislation, if we suddenly lost all of our freedoms tomorrow and could not meet, we still belong to one another. This physical place is not what binds us together, but our shared faith in Jesus Christ, that shared grace that the Spirit has spread over our lives. Because coming together as a church community, it's not about saving souls. We can't do that. Coming together as Christian community is about supporting one another, which requires a certain amount of vulnerability. You're going to have to open up. You're going to have to trust the person to your left and to your right. And that comes through time, through getting to know one another, but ultimately, it's not about our ability to be faithful to one another. Because I'm sure every church has its fair share of broken relationships. And it will continue to be that way. We are imperfect people, imperfectly capable of keeping perfect relationships. We are going to hurt one another. We are going to break the bonds of fellowship. We are going to be unfaithful in our call to support and encourage and spur each other on to loving deeds. And that can hurt, especially in these times of isolation, of separation, when things are not as normal. You feel that pain of betrayal so much more keenly. But we do not encourage each other on the basis of our own faithfulness to one another. We do not come to help each other in our struggles of faith and of life and community based on what we are capable of doing. We are only able to be faithful to each other by relying on the one who is faithful, by relying on God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The invitation of the text of this wonderful letter to Hebrews is that in all our dealings as a community, in all of our interactions, young and old, rich and poor, is to focus in on our shared identity as ones saved by grace. That no matter what this world throws at us, we can stand together as a community because God is faithful. Join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer as we do so often these days concerned with the state of our world, concerned with what is happening to our churches during this time, our friends, our families, our schools, our work, there is so much change, so much uncertainty, and we just long for a little bit of stability. We long for togetherness. And Heavenly Father, we confess that we have not kept you in our sights in all of this, that we have tried in our own strength to create community, to create a sense of normal in our own way. Encourage us, Heavenly Father, to reflect more on you, to draw into your presence, 
to hold on to this hope, to spur each other to love and good deeds. And may we rest in your power, your ability to be faithful above all. And God, we trust in you because we know you are capable, we know you are willing, and we know you will do this. Amen.